Hi, my name is Dr. Rongan Chatterjee, medical doctor, author of The Four Pillar Plan and BBC television presenter. I believe that all of us have the ability to feel better than we currently do, but getting healthy has become far too complicated. With this podcast, I aim to simplify it. I'm going to be having conversations with some of the most interesting and exciting people both within as well as outside the health space to hopefully inspire you as well as empower you with simple tips that you can put into practice immediately to transform the way that you feel. I believe that when we are healthier, we are happier because when we feel better, we live more. Today's guest definitely would come under the category of sleep expert. He is a trained physiologist. He has a PhD in sleep disorders from Imperial College and he is co-founder of The Sleep School. It's Dr. Guy Meadows. Guy, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Good to be here. Guy, um, I think, you know, what I try and do at the start of these conversations is explain to the listener how we got connected in the first place. And we have a mutual friend in someone called Gary Ward. Uh, Gary is the person who I credit for showing me the way to help me fix my chronic back problems. I think he's incredible. Uh, And it was probably about three years ago, I think, when I was filming the very first series of Doctor in the House and I asked Gary to help me with one of my patients. He mentioned you to me, but it's actually taken, you know, three years to actually get together in the (laughs) same room. So I'm, I'm delighted that you are here now, finally. It's a pleasure to be here. So, Guy, you're co-founder of The Sleep School. Can you tell me what is The Sleep School? The Sleep School is, I guess our our mission is quite simple. It's to help people to uh, sleep better, to live better. And, and, and that's just, uh, that, that's across the board. That's uh, school children. That's people suffering from insomnia. That's people, you know, hard at work in, in corporations. That's, uh, you know, university students. So whoever uh, you look at, you know, sort of at whatever age point they're in, um, if you can improve the amount of sleep that they're getting, you can improve the life they're getting. And that's what we're trying to do. Well, I can't disagree with that in any way at all. I absolutely agree. I mean, this podcast is called Feel Better, Live More. I think when we feel better, we get more out of life. And you are really drilling down, aren't you, on sleep and saying when people sleep better, they live better. I, I think one of the really interesting things is we know there are three pillars of health. So, you know, what we eat, uh, how we move. Um, actually, I've just realised you've got your four pillars. Hey, it's fine. <laughs> you know, I'm happy to go for your three pillars. That's fine. I can make my argument for four pillars. But yeah, go on. Let's go with the three. That's fine. OK, so um, there are three pillars of health, which are uh, to move, uh, to eat and to sleep. But I guess we're now in a, a boom phase where we recognise that um, uh, there, there is a wealth of amazing sleep research coming out, which tells us that sleep is the most powerful performance enhancer known to humankind. And, um, and so it, it, it's almost like we need to pay attention to sleep a little bit more if we are to uh, eat at our best, to ma- manage our weight and to move effectively. Yeah. I mean, you know, you mentioned three pillars. And yes, I talk about four pillars of health. And, you know, you can make arguments for more than that. You know, the reason I, I went to those four, because I feel that stress is a, is a huge issue these days, as is sleep deprivation. And I wanted to really come up with a simplistic framework for my book to, to help explain to people how they can look at their own lives. But yeah, you know what, food, movement, sleep, you know, a lack of sleep is a stress really on the body, isn't it? Um, you know, why is it, do you think, that 
In 2018, we are talking more and more about sleep than arguably we ever have done in the, you know, in the time that I can remember. You know, has something changed? Yeah, I think this is a really good point because certainly we've, we've been, you know, I, I've been working in sleep for nearly 18 years. And, and certainly when I began, um, it was you know, something we all knew was important, but there just wasn't so much chatter about it. You know, not, not so much sort of media interest or, you know, sort of corporate interest or just, just general sort of, um, you know, interest within the, the general population. And I think it's, it's from, for a number of reasons. So the, the most obvious is in recent years, we've seen a rise in digital technology. And that's certainly, that's sped us up. Um, we are now connected more than we've ever been and that's impacting the quality of our sleep or it's, or it's even sort of shortening the amount of time that we've uh, got available to sleep because we sort of stay up for longer being connected. But then, then we're also, we've got this element, the fact that we are working harder than we've sort of ever done before. And so we, are, we tend to be sort of the time available for sleep is less as well. Um, and as a result of that, we also see that we've got sort of um, mental health issues, which are yeah. sort of at their, you know, at their peak right now. And, and, you know, so there's an intimate relationship that exists between uh, mental health and sleep. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting when you, when you sort of dive into this research, as I... I did recently to, to to put together some slides for a, for a course that I ran for doctors called Prescribing Lifestyle Medicine. There was some really fascinating research showing that sleep deprivation can precede the development of mental health problems such as anxiety and depression, but then improving your sleep can actually treat those conditions as well. And I guess that's you know, really the human body in a, in a nutshell, you know, these things can work both ways. You know, if you're not sleeping enough, you're more likely to have a whole host of problems. But if you can get that sleep, you can improve them as well. Um, I, My perspective on sleep comes as a GP. So, you know, I see so many problems in my practice that in some way sleep deprivation is contributing to But you actually run a proper sleep clinic. So I'm guessing pretty much everyone who comes in to uh, the sleep school has got an issue with their sleep and is looking for solutions? Absolutely. So I, I think it's uh, a, a really good place to start talking about GPs because I have a huge amount of respect for you guys because you're sort of on the, the front line of insomnia. Um, you know, sort of 30% of the UK suffer from insomnia and, um, and, and most of them will turn up on the door of the, the, the GP. Could you, could you just define insomnia there at all? Yeah. So, so, um, so we can talk about transient insomnia. So everyone on the planet will experience transient insomnia. So that's a, a difficulty sleeping um, for sort of anywhere between a you know a couple of nights to sort of a couple of weeks as a result of some sort of stressful experience you know you could have a cough a cold you you know sort of you hurt yourself you could have a stress you know sort of stressful day at work or an argument with a loved one etc and that can lead to um, a little a bout of sleeplessness which when the stressor is removed then sleeping patterns so that's almost back. an appropriate response to a stressor but you remove the stressor the problem goes away. Exactly. So we're not in that thirty percent statistic. We're not talking about no. transient insomnia. No, no. So what we're talking about there is, um, with uh, we're talking about chronic insomnia or persistent insomnia. And so the clinical definition, uh, if you wanted, is sort of suggests that you're experiencing um, either a difficulty falling asleep, maintaining sleep, waking up too early, uh, you know, so, or experiencing unrefreshing sleep for a period greater than three months, and uh-huh. and where it's beginning to impact your day to day living. 
um, your ability to sort of perform at work, to you know communicate, to relate with others, etc. And and my sort of definition of it is chronic insomnia often becomes the worry about not sleeping. The more you worry about not sleeping, the less you sleep and the less you sleep, the more you worry and you go around in a vicious circle. And that's generally what causes people to, to turn up at your door. Yeah. And, and I guess, you know, certainly if I look back to maybe 10 years ago, you know, it was pretty common for sleeping pills to be handed out. I guess it still is today. There, there really, I don't think there was that much awareness certainly from my recollection, about A, how damaging sleeping pills can be to some people in terms of, you know, there's lots of associations now with other chronic diseases, you know, by taking sleeping pills. And I know we're trying to tease out that research at the moment in terms of what that actually means. But you are seeing people with insomnia. And I think your clinic has got a rather unique approach, hasn't it, to dealing with chronic insomnia. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Sure. And it's, and it's directly related to um, the, the drug therapy that you, you were mentioning there. One of the things that I recognised a long time ago was that actually the options available to insomniacs was very limited. If you went to your GP, you know, sort of 90% of people generally were going to be prescribed, after a while, prescribed some sort of uh, sleep medication, whether it be a, a hypnotic or something like that. And um, the problem was, is that that was sort of a, a short term sort of solution. And but a lot of the people, you know, sort of then became uh, caught on them, trapped on them, and then found they were reliant on them and couldn't come off. And so it didn't actually solve the problem. And so what I began to investigate was the sort of the more non-drug behavioral treatments. And so at the time, the major treatment out there was cognitive behavior therapy or CBTI. And um, I began using that. And um I guess one of the things I noticed is that it wasn't as effective as I wanted it to be and or as my clients wanted it to be. And that's why I began to um, investigate things like mindfulness, which back then, you know, sort of mindfulness was one of those things where the only place you could find it in London was at a, a, your local Buddhist centre. Yeah. Despite the fact that you didn't have to be, you know, sort of be a Buddhist to do it. It was the only place where you could it's actually... It's quite niche, wasn't it? It was incredibly niche. And... but. I uh, started to use it in my own life. I thought, wow, this is really powerful. This could really help people. This is a, a completely different way of approaching the sort of the typical psychophysiological uh, sort of vicious cycle that people get stuck in with insomnia. And so I began to apply these kind of more mindful type approaches. And that then led me on to discovering something called acceptance and commitment therapy, which is a, a newer form of uh, behavioral therapy of CBT. And, and I began to sort of pioneer its use for chronic insomnia. Wow. I'm interested in a few things from what you just said, uh, Guy. One of them is that you're, you're a hardcore scientist and what was that like when you came across mindfulness and thought about using it? Was part of you sceptical at all or had you read some compelling research? Uh, uh, high levels of scepticism, <laughs> absolutely. I mean, if you imagine back then the basis that the way in which we sort of thought about thoughts or sort of discomfort in general was we wanted to get rid of it. Yeah. You know, sort of. So we did everything that we could. Uh, so if you had negative thoughts, you challenged them. You created sort of alternative and balanced ones to sort of push them aside. Or if you had anxiety, you sort of uh, you did a bit of deep breathing to try and get rid of it. And suddenly, mindfulness. Changed 
changed the uh, the sort of the way in which we were talking about this because it said, well, actually, why don't we sit with it? Why don't we allow it to be there? And acceptance and commitment therapy is what I call it. It's like mindfulness on steroids <laughs> because wow. because what it does is it's it's really connects people. Uh, the acceptance part is recognizing that actually sometimes in life trying to control the the discomfort that you've got often just makes it worse. Yeah. So, you know, for an insomniac, trying to get rid of the thoughts in the middle of the night just causes them to come in stronger and they bring their friends in with them as well. You know, trying to get rid of the anxious feelings, just it, it's, it becomes an impossible task. People are going, well, I can't sleep unless my mind is calm and I feel anxious, uh, which just never happens. No, and it's, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy for many people who can't sleep, isn't it? Because then they wake up and it's very common for people to wake up at 3.30 or 4 o'clock in the morning and... Whatever the reason for them to wake up is, I think, because sometimes I feel there is a biological reason. There is something, maybe a blood sugar Mm. is crashing at that point, and that's a stress to the body, and therefore they wake up. Um, I think, you know, waking up at that time does induce a certain level of anxiety. And I think a lot of people feel, oh, it's anxiety that's waking me up, which may be true in some cases, but in other cases... I found that either it's the caffeine wearing off or the alcohol wearing off, and then you wake up at that time, and then you become anxious. So is your is your strategy to help people get to sleep, or is it to help them sleep through the night, or is it both? It's both. And I just want to come in on that point that you said there, because something that the listeners might find really sort of helpful and interesting. um, And this is, you know, when I started talking about the physiology to people around sleep, suddenly, you know, the levels of anxiety just dropped. And so a simple fact is to recognise that, as you know, we sleep in cycles. So uh, these cycles are an hour and a half to two hours long, which means that sort of every hour and a half we've, you know, we've kind of evolved to come up and check for danger. If you imagine you yeah. know, 40,000 years ago, you were lying on the sort of plains of Africa. You went down for an eight hour kip. Chances are you weren't going to wake up alive. You know, it was a dangerous sort of world. And so we believe that we sort of evolved to sleep in these small chunks in order to be able to check for danger, which means that every sort of hour and a half to two hours, you've got these momentary gaps where, you know, sort of at best we might sort of change position we might have a bit of a moan and a groan and then slip beautifully back into the next cycle but for many of us we will we might just become briefly aware briefly alert uh for that moment and our thinking might kick in and and if you've got a you know a busy day the next day if you've got uh you know a, a test an exam well then our thinking mind just loves to go oh let's worry about that yeah. and and suddenly it means that uh, that space is filled with with sort of racing mind, and, and suddenly we get pushed away from sleep. That, that you know, just hearing that guy, I think it's going to be it's fascinating for me. I imagine for people listening who struggle with sleep, you know, that's pretty reassuring to hear that, isn't it? You know, you must. I'm guessing that's the feedback you get. It's just, oh, I didn't realise. You know, it, it, so I guess the the follow up question then is, is it a myth? that we should be able to go into bed at whatever time we choose, let's say 10.30 in the evening, and sleep eight hours through without actually, you know, and and the next thing you know, it's 6.30 in the morning and you're up. Mm. You know, is that a myth? I know some people can do that, but is that something we should be striving for? Absolutely not. 
<laughs> so, wow. I, and the reason why, uh, because in my book, but, but basically saying that we should be, you know, you put your head on the pillow and then you should be completely unconscious for, you know, until sort of whatever time you need to get up. It just sets the bar so high. Yeah. And it also, it does uh, the sort of the, you know, the, the physiology a disservice. The fact that, you know, we have lots of, you know, sleep is an incredibly active phase. There's, we are constantly sort of going through these cycles. We, uh, you know, just the natural biological process of needing to go for you know to the toilet in the night you know that yeah. needs to happen it's sort of uh, and it's perfectly normal so you will get those people who are incredibly annoying whereby yes they will sleep right through but for the vast majority of us and certainly as we begin to get a little bit older it becomes harder and harder to to tie those cycles together and so that means you do have these sort of moments of wakefulness but the crucial thing is what you do in that time because nowadays people get busy you know the first thing they do is they check their phone yeah. and so instantly we've got light stimulation signaling to the brain that hey inhibit melatonin the sleep promoting hormone activate cortisol the day's begun <laughs> you yeah. know let alone the cognitive stimulation of suddenly going actually i think i'll check facebook and write some witty facebook reply etc so suddenly our own behavioral actions are pushing us further and further yeah, away i mean if you know last night i broke one of my own rules um which is a rule that I rarely break these days, but I did last night because I do have a battery-powered alarm clock, right? Mm. But it had run out of gas. (laughs) (laughs) And I had to get an early train. I had to get a 4.30 alarm this morning. I had to come down on an early train to London. Um, And so I used my phone as my alarm. Mm. Which, again, I know it's a bad idea. You know, well, when I say it's a bad idea, I think it's much better to keep your phone outside your bedroom as a rule. And... I woke up, I can't remember what time it was, but, you know, I, I when it's there, you do look at it, you just like, what time is it? And, you know, am I near alarm time? You know, that, should I just stay up and get ready? Or I think it was about two in the morning or something. And But, you know, you do feel, you know, a bit stimulated when you have looked at that phone and, you know, I'm feeling it today. And I, you know, I think, and I think that really, you know, I know about this and I rarely do it, but each time I don't do it and I feel a um, an effect, I think I'm educating myself more and more that actually it's very important. Do you see smartphones in the bedroom as a problem? Uh, absolutely. So, yeah. so we, you know, we have a number of different sides to, to what we do. So where we, we will go in and work with, um, you know, we, we, we have a clinic and we run workshops for chronic insomniacs. And, and, and for those guys, um, you know, most of them are, are sort of uh, have the best sleep hygiene ever. Right. So they're following it, all the rules. Yeah. If anything, it's too much. Got it. <laughs> they're a little obsessive. And I can talk about that sort of a little bit later. But the vast majority of us, so we also have a professional program where we go into organizations. And for, you know, for the general population, most of us have our phones in our bedrooms and it's disturbing the quality of our sleep, whether that's just, you know, whether that's through checking the time, whether it's through actively sort of getting involved in it when you can't sleep, um, or it's just the sort of knowledge that your entire life is sort of sat there at your fingertips. Yeah, it, it's crazy, isn't it? It's got so many questions I want to ask you. But I guess the first one to start with there is what, you know, you, you see these chronic insomniacs. Do any of them have what I would call a primary sleep disorder, such as obstructive sleep apnea that need treating? Or do most of the people you see, um, are they... You know, I don't, I'm not sure what term you would use to describe them. Um, are, you know, I I strongly believe that the majority of sleep issues that I see mm. are in some way driven by our our modern lifestyles. 
and we we tend to be many of us tend to be doing something in our everyday lives that we don't realize is impacting our ability mm. to sleep at night has that been your experience as well so this i think this is really uh, a good place to sort of um, again, come back to chronic insomnia and, and understand what it is. Sure. So I, I think you're absolutely right. For the, the vast majority of us, as a result of the way we were living our lives, it's impacting on the quality of our sleep. So certainly, if we were to, um, you know, sort of eat better, move better, get more light, and do all of these basic things, we would just have much better quality sleep. And you know, we would notice it the next day. You yeah. know, we'd be more attentive. We'd be more focused. We'd be have be able to recall memory. You know, easier. You know, sort of, we've been have a better mood. Yeah. So, so all of that thing is absolutely right. But for the chronic insomniac, it's about understanding well, well what that is. So, coming back to the nighttime, um, we were talking about you know, sort of, um, it's perfectly normal to sort of wake up. But what happens for chronic insomniacs is it becomes a learnt condition. Um, and and so there's a it's, there's a rather fancy term called a transformation of stimulus function. <laughs> now, okay. now, sort of what that basically means is the way in which people relate to the nighttime changes. So um, let's just uh, let's do an experiment. Imagine that I'm giving I, I've given you an apple. Okay, and um, you're holding that apple, and, and it's the—I presume you like apples. I love apples. Great. Okay, <laughs> so it's the best apple ever for you. You know, it's the right color, it's the right size, it's the right type. You know, it's, and you're probably beginning to salivate just at the thought of being able to bite into this apple. You know, and you've got tons of past experience knowing how good apples are going to be, etc. And you're hungry. But then just as you're about to bite into it, you notice a small sort of worm poking its head out of a little hole on the side. Now, as a result of that, suddenly the function of the apple has changed. You know, and if the experience was sort of uh, bad enough for you, you might go, I'm never going to eat apples again. Well, this is what begins to happen with chronic insomnia. So you take a a sort of a a normal uh, sleeper and then they begin to experience um, poor sleep as a result of some, say, stressful uh, arguments, you know, at work or with a loved one, let's say. And suddenly it sows the seed of doubt in their trust about their natural ability to sleep. Suddenly their mind goes, I hope that doesn't happen again tonight because that wasn't very nice. And so suddenly their threat detecting part of their brain, their amygdala, has has sort of begun to kick in. And so suddenly the relationship which might have existed before, which was I'm moving towards the bedroom, all of the sleepy cues are kicking off, you know, I put my head on the pillow and I'm falling asleep. For our clients, what it is, is they could be sat downstairs feeling sleepy, but as soon as they move towards the bedroom, their heart begins to pound, their mind begins to race. And this is what we call conditioned nighttime arousal or a bedtime arousal or nighttime arousal, insomniacs can, some insomniacs can fall asleep fine. 2 a.m., they wake up and their brain is sort of going, where's the danger? Where's the bear? And, and that can feel incredibly scary because they're, you know, the heart is racing, they're feeling panicked, they're feeling anxious. And so that's got very little about the way in which they're living their lifestyle, but more about this, this um, learned psychological uh, habit that's formed around their relationship with nighttime waking. And, and is that where your uh, sort of unique form of therapy kicks in? It's to really help with that side of things. Exactly. So what, uh, what ACT or acceptance and commitment therapy does is rather paradoxically teach people to lean towards the discomfort. So, right. so what we mean by that is we teach people to get to know the thoughts rather than trying to get rid of them because it's weirdly, it's not the thoughts and the feelings which are the problem. It's our reaction to them. It's our desperation to try and get rid of them. Often we're caught in such a tug of war with them that that's actually what keeps our wakefulness fueled. R- reminds me a little bit about uh, meditation and mindfulness in the sense that 
you know, and this is certainly me when I started meditating, you know, I've got a slight A-type personality and it was, you know, I didn't clear my mind today. This is incredibly frustrating. You know, why didn't I, why did that thought come in? You know, I need to get better at it. But as you do it more and you you educate yourself more about it, you understand that actually it's that awareness and, and accepting that, yes, that thought has come in. But, you know, last week I wasn't aware that that thought came in. So at least now I'm aware of it. Yeah, and yeah. it is um, leaning into it and accepting mm. it rather than trying to shut it down. Because that, you know, when we're consciously trying to control this stuff too much, it's it, paradoxically, it just almost creates a new problem doesn't it exactly exactly i always use the metaphor it's like you wouldn't try to put a fire out with petrol but when you're trying to get rid of your own thoughts and own emotions it could be likened to trying to put a fire out with petrol because it's your amygdala which is generating all the fears the fears you know if i don't sleep i won't be able to cope tomorrow you know if i don't sleep i'll look and feel awful now if you try to sort of block those suppress them you you all you're signaling to your amygdala is that wow we are in danger we need to sort of you know ramp up even more and so it generates more anxiety more fear etc so do do people self refer themselves to you so they um they, they recognise they've got a sleep problem and then they think, okay, you know, I'm going to go to uh, the sleep school and go on one of these courses. Is that is that generally how it works? Yeah, generally. Um, we, we sort of have a lot of material on our website and people can sort of, they, they recognise that they're sort of in the place to cut, they're sort of, they're in need of us because um, I have this sort of saying that you know, if you ask a normal sleeper what they do to sleep, what will they say? I don't know. Exactly. They'll yeah. go, you know, they shrug their shoulders. I don't know, you know. Yeah. But if you ask an insomniac, they'll give you a list as long yeah, as their yeah, arm. Yeah. And this is where I mentioned about the sort of the, the slightly obsessive nature that um, that's when we can't solve, uh, uh, you know, humans are great problem solvers. And so we, we which we use every day brilliantly yeah. to, to go about our everyday life. You know, you used it to get on a train to come here this morning, etc. Um, but we try to apply the same methodology to chronic insomnia. And so we start doing lots of things. So I often say that my clients their their bedside table is like a sort of a, a cemetery to all of the past techniques you know right. they, they'll have you know sort of an array of cds you know lavender pills you know etc <laughs> eye which, masks eye masks you know ear, earplugs you know sort of everything and you know and their bedrooms they've got this you know they're a homage to sort of perfection you know they're gaffer taping the 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 sort of the the, the curtain LED lights and stuff it's, yeah, no. it's you know they are the sort of the best bedrooms in the world but the problem is is that creates sleep inflexibility because suddenly they're going, well, I can't sleep unless, you know, I do X, Y and Z, unless mm. I take this. So suddenly, you know, and, and a, a real sort of um, eye opener for many of my clients is when they let's say they go um, away, they go to stay with family or they go on holiday and they forget their sort of paraphernalia, their sleep aids. And, and that just spins them into a state of anxiety. And they realize, wow, I'm now reliant on these. All of these yeah. things have stolen a bit of their trust in their own natural ability to sleep. And they uh, and and that's and it's and, and they're now reliant on them to use. So what we do is we teach people to come off all of that and to sleep naturally. And there's something really quite key in what you just said, guy, for me, which is our natural ability to sleep. Because you know, I fundamentally believe that the majority of us are born with that innate natural ability to sleep, and somewhere along the way, and I, I fully appreciate that some people can develop uh, primary sleep disorders, which might require. Uh, different treatments but but for many of us we untrained that natural ability that we 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 had probably when we were a kid yeah 
Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I often say that everyone who comes into our clinic has become very good at sleeping badly. Yeah. And, and the, great, the great thing about sleep is that it's a learned habit, which you can train yourself to be better at it. So we have people who come to us who've, you know, they've been sleeping, at, you know, two or three hours for, you know, four or five decades, but they can still learn to be better sleepers. Wow. And that's the that's the phenomenal thing. They've just got themselves into a, a, a bad habit. And it's about applying these um, these sort of we have a sort of a five step process whereby the first step is discover. You discover all of the things which you could be doing, which could be getting in the way. The next one is accept, which is the mindfulness principles that we spoke about, yeah. that sort of being able to notice uh, the thoughts that you have that are showing up. And then the next one, which I really love, is, is, you know, which a lot of our clients call the bonkers phase, is, is the welcome phase. This is where you truly learn to welcome your, your discomfort and your insomnia. And a lot of you know, my hardened clients are going, you, know, you want me to welcome insomnia? This thing's ruining my life. You know, are you crazy? And, but the reality is, is because most of them are fighting it. And, yeah. I, and, and you can ask them, you, I, I, you know, I can sort of flippantly ask them, you know, so how's that going for you, you know, you know, for the last decade? And look, well, actually not very good. No. Um, so, well, if it's not working, how about we try something different? How about we learn to uh, to welcome in it in a more playful way? Wow. I mean, this is so incredibly needed, isn't it? You know, more ways to help the general public to sleep better because as you said right at the top, and I think many people are now starting to become aware of, although probably not enough, I would say, the general population, I don't think is necessarily aware of how detrimental sleep deprivation mm-hmm. is. And I'm I'm conscious also that by saying that, some people will panic. Um, so I need to be very careful because, um, you know, for people who can't sleep, you know, hearing that sleep deprivation is associated with, you know, Alzheimer's and type 2 diabetes can all, almost make the problem worse and so you, it can be a bit tricky to, to get that message out there without scaring people. Sh- sh- I mean, shall I tell you how we get around this? Because Please do, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> because if you, could, if you can imagine, you know, we will run uh, a workshop and we'll have 20, 30, you know, sort of chronic insomniacs in there and all of them guaranteed will, will you know, sort of have or have had the thought, you know, sort of what's this doing to my health? And unfortunately, whilst I get excited by the fact that we're in this sort of boom phase of scientific sleep research, it's it's a nightmare for the clients because every sort of Sunday supplement they open, it says, you know, suddenly, oh, if you're not sleeping, it's going to lead to diabetes or Alzheimer's wow. or heart disease, etc. So, but the crucial thing to recognise is that um, we know that sleep's important. Okay, so sleep is fundamentally important, but it's it's how those individuals are responding to those thoughts. And that's what we, we teach them to transform they, the way they relate to the thoughts. So they recognize that just because they're having thoughts doesn't mean that they need to follow them. Um, that doesn't mean they need to believe them. You know, a good example of this is, you know, if, if you ask a, a, if a normal sleeper wakes up at three and uh, they have to be up at six, what, what, do they, what do you think they say? If they wake up at three and they need to be up at six. Yeah. When you say normal sleep, a normal you mean sleep someone, someone who doesn't have any issues. Yeah. They probably don't think anything off it. They just maybe they might look at their watch, see the time, and just put their head down again. Yeah. And they're just they probably don't give it much thought. So, oh, 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 it's three. But they and and I certainly know that you know sort of I I will go uh, you know oh great <laughs> you know I've got three more hours this is wonderful you know, okay three more hours of not running around you know sort is of is it just, almost like a, although you might do that naturally is it almost like a 
a reframing of that? Uh, well, I guess that's just a sort of, a, for, in my experience, you know, if you ask a normal sleeper, that's just this sort of very normal response. Right. But if you ask an insomniac, you know, sort of at that moment, what goes through their mind, it's typically, you know, oh no. <laughs> terror. <laughs> terror. I've only got three hours. I'm never going to fall back to sleep. Yeah. Tomorrow's going to be a disaster. This is going to be awful. And, but it's recognising that, you know, our brain is designed to worry. You know, sort of, we have around 50 or 60,000 thoughts a day, of which we believe 70% are problem solving or worrisome. You know, I'm a huge fan of worry because without worrying, we wouldn't be here today. Our ancestors worried (laughs) so that they could keep us alive. But just because our brain worries doesn't mean you have to buy into all of it. And it's, it's understanding the difference between having thoughts and buying into them. I I really like this because it's, for me, it's quite a fresh way to approach it. Um, It's, yeah, it's recognising that a lot of these thoughts are what we do as humans and they're the things that have maybe kept us alive and and evolved us over over hundreds of thousands, if not millions of years. Mm, mm. But somewhere along the line, and you can apply this to all kinds of things such as food and movement and, and you know all these anxiety the anxiety and stress rates that are going through the roof on some level it's about that 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 sort of mismatch between the environment in which we have evolved mm. to the modern environment where actually most of us well for many of us we we are quite safe and actually a lot of the worry is unnecessary now mm. and it's causing problems in, in in this modern environment you know sort of that's kind of where i go with it in my yeah. head no absolutely and and i mean i uh, you know i i've i sort of practice what I preach. I, you know, sort of heavily invested, you know, sort of in acceptance and commitment therapy. I meditate every day, etc. And I, it's it's been one of the sort of the, the fundamental transformations in my life because, you know, so I, 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 I know that you've got a couple of uh, sort of young kids. I've got young kids as well. And, you know, what was fascinating about having kids was suddenly it just gave my brain a whole new arena to worry. Oh, yeah. tell me about <laughs> it. <laughs> and, and constant. I, it's constant. just constant. And, and, but, but, you know, so being able to have that sort of observational stance, stand, you know, standing point, I was able to go, wow, look at you guys. Where did you all come from? You're like a whole new plethora yeah. of sort of, you know, worry making. But, you know, it, it, I guess I sort of took that uh, or I, I do my best to try and um, and go, well, I've got a choice here. I can spend my time sort of worrying, you know, sort of how I'm going to be a dad or I can spend my time just being a dad. You know, sort of, you know, there's a lovely phrase, jump and build your wings on the way down. I'm trying to sort of approach it in that way rather than sort of going, you know, over analysing, worrying about everything, every yeah. sort of way in which... It's never ending, it. is it? It's never you ending. You never get to the end of that list yeah. because it just... It just keeps going. And and the beautiful thing is, that, you know, the, the, the mind just soaks up the world that we live in as a sort of one, you know, it's it's just a constant, uh, endless possibility for, for worry. So it's, it's, you know, and it's exhausting. And yeah. that's what can keep you awake in the middle of the night. So being able to take a, a step back from it can help you just to sort of, to, to to one you know stop overstimulating your amygdala to to help you move into a state of quiet wakefulness and send that signal to your brain that hey do you know what we're safe it's all right we can sleep you mentioned that the the practice has been transformational for you uh, and it makes me think where did this interest in sleep come from have you had issues yourself in the past so that that's a a, a great question so one of the um the the 
the challenges or the ironies behind doing sleep research is you're obviously spending your entire time up watching other people sleep, or, or at least doing attempting sleep, etc. So, um, you know, for all of the shift workers out there, you know, I, I completely understand. You know, because basically, I spent you know a good few years of my life uh, doing shift work and working in the night and then attempting to sleep in the day. And of course, I, I fell into all of the the typical traps. You know, sort of trying to burn the candle at both ends, trying to sort of, um, you know, sort of uh, go and do, you know, sort of daytime stuff when actually I should be committing to sleep. But plus also, I just really struggled to sleep in the day. So as a result of that, my circadian rhythm got shot to pieces and I began to experience bouts of insomnia. And, And but what was really interesting is I noticed that, you know, as I became more involved with insomniacs, is I was following a similar pattern whereby I was I was struggling to try and make myself sleep. But sleep's this natural biological process that doesn't, you don't need anything to do. So suddenly we're doing lots of things to try and achieve something that requires nothing to do. And, you know, one of the biggest light bulb moments for me was my clients would come in and they would be, um, you know, I was awake all night. Uh, struggling with, with, you know, to, to get to sleep. And I was like, okay, yeah, what, what happened? And then they go, yeah, and then I fell asleep at 6am. And I was like, well, what happened at 6am? And they said, well, I went sodded. I don't care anymore. I give up. <laughs> you know? And then my alarm went off. And, I, you know, obviously... There's something that was, in that, isn't there? Yeah, for them, it was incredibly frustrating. But this was at the, around the time that I was beginning this journey of mindfulness. And I went, wow, you know, this, this sodded element is what I think we call letting go. Yeah. I think that's what sort of in the Eastern world at the time is this concept of acceptance. And so I then began my journey of acceptance because if I can figure out what people do in that moment and sort of be able to put that into a program, then we can transform the way uh, we approach insomnia. So Guy, the, the sleep school offers services for you know, the lay public and people who are struggling with their sleep and you've got um, courses and programs available for them. But you also go and speak to businesses as well. Mm. And I'm, I'm interested in that. Do you think business is starting to recognize the problems and therefore the cost to them of having sleep deprived employees? Absolutely. So, and this is an emerging area. So it was back in 2008 that we actually did our first uh, sort of um, sleep education seminar for businesses. And that was quite sort of unique back then. A, a, you know, an, a, a, it, was a, it was actually an advertising agency, which had uh, they'd done an internal well-being survey. And they said, sleep's coming up as a real problem. You know, they're very stressed. Could you come in and help? And so we went in and helped. And, and then over the years, it just, it, you know, a, what was a trickle suddenly became a torrent. And suddenly... And you know, because organisations are uh, they are becoming more stressed um, right now. Mental health, poor mental health within the workplace is at its worst. You know, so so and there's a huge awareness factor around this. And sleep is that linchpin to enabling us to have good mental health. When we are sleep deprived, it it knocked out, knocks out the prefrontal cortex, that front part of the brain, which helps to rationalise, manage the the limbic system, our emotional centre. Yeah, you it, mentioned the amygdala before. That's almost the almost the opposite, isn't it, to the prefrontal cortex? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. It, it's I was rational versus um, you know emotional I yeah, guess in some yeah. ways I, I like to describe it as our sort of 24 hour sort of uh, threat detecting Tasmanian yeah. devil kind of part of our brain it's the bit that's sort of always on the lookout for for danger yeah and um and so 
the the within the workplace, um, they're recognizing that there's suddenly this vicious cycle because people are are you know are getting more stressed, they're experiencing more anxiety, more depression, etc., and that's leading to more poor sleep. And actually, the more poor sleep they experience, the the they go around in a circle. Because, like you said, it's the, the the beautiful thing that we're understanding now is that sleep it's not a it's not just a symptom of poor mental health. It's it's a trigger. Um, many of us describe it now as a canary down the mine. Yeah. Poor sleep is becoming uh, you know a, a sort of an uh, an early warning signal that actually you know stress anxiety burnout you know they're on their way kind yeah of thing. absolutely and and so there's also the other side that employers are recognizing that actually you know sort of sleep has an impact on an individual's ability to perform yeah you know, and that's not just to sort of um, be mentally and emotionally sort of stable, but that's actually fundamental to their ability to to lead, to communicate. But it's also their ability to to be focused and attentive. Everything, every sort of high order executive skill begins with attention. Yeah. And we know that when you are sleep deprived. So, for example, if you've been awake for more than 17 hours, um, it has the equivalent impact on our ability to focus as having a blood alcohol level of 5%, yeah. which is the legal limit. It's incredible that, isn't it? Yeah. I think that's a statistic we need to sort of hammer home to the public more because I think you really get it then. Yeah. Really get it. And and it's not like we would, you know, it's it's... You know, the funny thing that for me is that if you were to wake up and have a few pints and then go to work, that would be considered to be sort of outrageous. And yet it's perfectly normal to be sleep deprived and turn up to work when actually the impact on our cognitive performance is very similar. Um, So so companies are getting in touch with you now to come in and actually talk to them about how they can improve the sleep uh, health, let's say, of their employees from... You know, I think you said 2008 was the first time you went into a company. Is that right? So, yeah, what, yeah. 10 years ago? Are there common things that you find employers are are doing or the, the environment at work is, is, is set up in such a way that it's, that it's impacting those individuals and those employees and their ability to sleep in the evening? Are, are, there, are there common things that you see across the board? Absolutely. So I think that one of the, um, the the easiest ways to explain is to, to talk about how we've set up our professional programs. So whilst, you know, we're the sleep school, so, you know, sort of we, we focus on the sleep. But what we're crucially aware of is that there are three sort of obvious time points during the day in which uh, you can excel, but which are all interconnected. And so, for example, you know, how an individual performs during the day, um, i.e. how they manage their stress impacts how well they sleep at night. So what we'll seek to do is, is you know, give the employees tools to manage daytime stress wow. um, because, that, because of the knock-on effects. And then the next area, and this is the sort of the, 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 you know, the new kid on the block, but super exciting, lots of great research being done, etc. And this is our ability to detach at the end of the day, you know, as a result of just work demands, self-induced pressure, or just sort of technology these days, many of us just aren't actually disconnecting. Yeah. We're not detaching. And we now know that's fundamental, not only to sleep, but actually to recharging the sort of the human yeah. brain. You know, it's kind of like getting home at the end of the day and really engaging with your family, with your friends, with your kids, doing something of real value. It's kind of like taking your work brain and plugging it in. Yeah. It, and, and if you think about it, Guy, you know, we, we go on, on a, well, not even on an evolutionary level, I'd say just in the very near past, there was a time pre-smartphones, pre-email, 
it's not that long ago whereby a lot of the workforce would finish their jobs, let's say at five o'clock or five thirty, make the journey home. And, you know, and that was it. They they, they were done with work the until the next done. morning. There was no. Uh, there wasn't even you could not access work emails because they didn't exist. Mm, so mm. there was a natural, you know, stop point. There was a natural uh, switch off point, which, frankly, technology has, you know, blurred that line. You mm, know, mm. being kind, it's it's just obliterated that line actually. <laughs> so we can now check our work emails in the evening. We can check them on a Saturday, on mm. a Sunday. Um, and yeah, I, I can I can see how that would be a huge thing when you go and talk to employees about that uh, disconnect piece. Yeah. yeah. Uh, was there a third one there? Yeah. And so then the third one is sleep. So, sleep. Got so, it. So, so the third one is we 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 teach people all of the the the, the essential tools that they need to be able to achieve good uh, quality sleep, but also get enough quantity of sleep as well. Yeah. Incredible guy. It is that important, sleep, isn't it? But it's, it's, it's interesting to me that out that, that sort of three-pronged program in companies, only the final one is actually about sleep. And, and that really goes back to this whole idea that the body is interconnected and you, mm. you know, and, and, and I've, you know, you know, yes, I talk about food, movement, sleep and relaxation, but I talk about how they all impact each other. You know, you can get on that train wherever you want and it will lead you to the others because they're all connected. You know, you change one thing, you have the opportunity to change everything. Mm. Um, so, so Guy, you've, it's the Seep School. Where, where can people uh, find the Seep School or, you know, the things that you write about or your courses? Where, where can they find so you? The, the easiest place to go is to the, the sleepschool.org. And okay. there you can find out you know, everything that you need to about our approach to chronic insomnia, you know, sort of being able to book um, a, a, you know, a one-to-one clinic with a sleep doctor, great. being able to attend a workshop. And one of the great things about the workshop is, you know, sort of people will attend and and, and they'll, they'll realise that they're not the only ones because yeah. they're like, oh, there's a cathartic That has value, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. That has value. Um, and then, but we've also recently, last year, we um, launched our entire program digitally as well. So we now have an online platform so people can uh, watch get the whole sort of uh, five-step process but in in short um short form video content so they can watch it in their own oh, home, fantastic so what, what you know what i'll do guys we're in the show notes at the bottom of the podcast mm. uh, on my website we will uh, pop links to all these things so people can find it really easily absolutely um guy one of the reasons i do this podcast is to empower as many people as possible to become the architects of their own health and i always Mm. like where possible to leave the listener with something that they can reflect on or think about uh, hopefully something simple and actionable that they might be able to put into their own life introduce into their own life immediately great have you got some top tips for the listeners sure so I think uh, absolutely. <laughs> got, got, yes. How long have we got? <laughs> yeah, just Should keep, we stick to four? <laughs> four. Okay. So what I'll try to do there is, is uh, mix them up for the general population and for the sort of the insomniacs as well. Great. So, so I, I think the first one is is that's possibly the most basic, but it's really needed, and that's make sleep a priority in your life. You know, agree more. It is the most powerful performance enhancer. You know, it impacts every biological process. If you are truly sort of, um, you know, uh, passionate about improving your health, then just make sure you get a little bit more sleep. You know, sort of set a go to bed alarm, you know, sort of to, to help you, you know, and we're not talking much, you know, just 15, 30 minutes and we can notice yeah. an impact. So wow. that would be the first one. Um, 
The second one is, again, echoing you know, a lot of what you say, sort of live a lifestyle which helps to uh, facilitate better sleep. So you know, I'll, I'll sneakily sort of include a few in here. So just you know, manage your caffeine intake. So you know, sort of having uh, two or three cups, knocking on the head by midday or something like that. You know, get outside, uh, expose yourself to natural light. Ideally, sort of uh, bright light, 10 a.m. in the morning, 10 minutes of that light. And that will help to not only give you that sort of uh, boost to wake you up in the morning, but also help to synchronize your body clock and help you sleep better in the night as well. Sure. And then, you know, we've been talking a lot. Be just be mindful, you know, sort of uh, allow yourself some time to to notice, take perspective on the content that's showing up in your mind, the thoughts, emotions, um, you know, sort of physical sensations, etc. And and uh, perhaps, you know, not believe everything that your mind says, yeah. says to you, allow it to pass and become more of a sort of a noticer and witnesser. And then, you know, for the chronic insomniacs, it's uh, let go of the struggle. You know, it, it's, that, it's that endless struggle to try and get rid of their sleep, which causes them to experience more sleeplessness. Wow. And, and the, the, you know, I mentioned about the, the acceptance part of acceptance and commitment therapy is about, you know, leaning into the discomfort. But then the valued part is so important. Many of my clients will go, I can't live my life until I get rid of my insomnia. Well, the result is they just never get round to living their lives. Yeah. So actually, you know, I know it's hard, but start living your life with your insomnia. Okay, that doesn't mean you need to run a marathon. You may have plans to, but just going for a walk around the block is. It means that you're you're moving towards uh, that thing of value, that sort of health value. But whilst you know experiencing insomnia, and the more you begin to do that, what happens is that you start to resent insomnia less, and the less you resent it. Uh, that the less struggle there is, the more you sleep, the more you sleep, the more you live. And you start entering a new uh, sort of cycle rather than the vicious cycle. Guy, fascinating conversation. You've certainly given uh, me a lot to think about. I'm sure the listener would have found that incredibly insightful and how we can um, sleep better and live more. Guy, good luck with everything. Um, I'm sure many people might be in contact now to actually check out your programs and see what you've got to offer because it sounds like there's some really valuable tools there for people to improve their sleep which is going to improve their well-being um guy thank you very much for your time today and maybe we can do this again in the future brilliant thank you very much that's the end of this week's feel better live more podcast thank you so much for listening and i really hope you found the conversation useful but also enjoyable If you're not already, I'd highly recommend that you subscribe to this podcast so that you can be notified when the latest episode of my podcast comes out. I'd also be incredibly grateful if you consider going onto iTunes and giving this a five-star rating so that I can get this information out and reach more people. It really does make a difference. And if you have any suggestions for people you'd like to see me have conversations with on this podcast, I'd encourage you to get in touch with me on social media using the hashtag feelbetterlivemore. You can find me on Facebook and Instagram using the handle at Dr Chatterjee and on Twitter using the handle at Dr Chatterjee UK.